Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. Believing what the Word of God says when it comes to, again, what we believe. Sorry, i got to turn something off here. Um, again, looking at what the Word of God says so we can know what we believe. Rather than approaching the Word of God to try to figure out what it is that we believe, we approach the Word of God to find out what is true. Uh, you can ask any questions uh, about previous services um, or about previous Q&As. Our first question today was brought up by The Whole Truth um, a little while ago. And the question was, what is the Microsoft patent 060606? Uh, when this was first brought up, I'd said I'd never heard of it. In fact, I read it as patient instead of patent uh, and had no idea what Sover was talking about. But I am a skeptical person, um, certainly not a guy that goes out on conspiracy theory um, that that believes a lot of conspiracy theories, certainly not at all. And uh, so I said I was skeptical about this, plus I found thought it was kind of funny that it was 060606, which would be read 6,606, so it would indeed be would have kind of a way of saying 666. Uh, so I had told whole, the whole truth I would look into it. And then uh, they asked again if I'd looked into it and I hadn't yet. So I spent some time looking into it now. And um, I just want to go ahead and talk a little bit about what I found. First of all, I could not find anything on YouTube on it at all, which makes me think that the whole topic has been scrubbed from YouTube, which makes me think that maybe this video <laughs> will get scrubbed from YouTube as well. Uh, and um, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it, all, how it all works out. But if you go online and you search it, you do find that there are those that believe that Bill Gates has um, made this patent so that he can inject people with microchips or tattoos um, and keep track of them. Uh, and the whole patent has the idea of cryptocurrency in it. So to keep track of them, to reward them for cryptocurrency. And you can imagine with the number 060606 in the patent number, it's actually, I think it's W-O. And I'll pull up something here that will give you the exact number here in a moment. But can you imagine how there would be a lot of conspiracies about that? Bill Gates is already the center of a lot of conspiracy theories um, and also some some kind of strange stuff as well. And then you get this number attached to it with the vaccine, which from the very beginning had trouble, right? Because it was under Project Warp Speed under President Trump that the vaccine was first researched and rolled out. And then Kamala Harris and President Biden said they wouldn't take it when they were running. Um, and then they won. And then they put out the patent and it ended up being Republicans that were skeptical about the patent as well. So Bill Gates has a lot to do with vaccines and so that he wants to inject people with microchips um, in vaccines and then comes up with this patent. No wonder there's a lot of people who are going, what's going on and is this really true? So here's what I found. I'm going to start off, first of all, with the claim. And let me go ahead and switch over to that. So on first of all, I'll start out with the claim. So I looked this up on Snopes um, and Snopes said mostly false. And I found that when people were trying to report on whether or not Bill Gates made a patent to inject people with microchips or tattoo people for the sake of tracking them and giving them cryptocurrency, 
that they would come back with false. And then they would say things like, well, the number 666 isn't the number. They would say things like, we, he doesn't want to inject them with microchips into their body. Um, and so they would, they had denied it. And so this is the claim that was on Snopes. Microsoft owns patent 666, which involves inserting microchips into people to mine their activity for cryptocurrency purposes. Now I want to show you that they say that this is mostly false, but I want to tell you what's false about it. First of all, it's 060606, not 666. So that'll be the part of the claim that it never talks about injecting microchips, which it doesn't. I think it talks about the possibility of dots or tattoos instead of microchips. And it does talk about cryptocurrency. So here is their response. Make sure I get the right one. Okay, so here's their response. So they said, what's true? They, first of all, on the top of their page, it says mostly false. And then it says, what's true? Microsoft published a patent for a cryptocurrency system using body activity data. So that's true. Microsoft filed this patent. The patent is filed under the number WO, which stands for something on itself, 2020, which is the year that it was patented, 060606, and then A1, whatever A1 stands for. But the main part of the patent number that is different than everything else is 060606, which again, if you were to read it like a number, because the first zero doesn't mean anything, it'd be 6,066 which I find incredibly interesting. And so it says the number, uh, and then it says what's false. The number uh, 02202006060606A1 <clears throat> contains three sixes, but obviously this is not the same as 666. And they're, they're right with that. It's not the same as 666. But in numerology, there's all kinds of weird things that happen. And the fact that this has 060606 in it, even if there is nothing strange at all going on, it's just weird, right? It's just weird. This patent focuses on tracking body activity via wearable technology. Now, I don't know that I found anything that talked about wearable technology while I was researching this. It may be true, um, but I didn't find anything about that. It says such as smartwatches and makes no mention of implanted microchips. Now, something you should know is that, especially in Sweden, there are those that are being microchipped on purpose. And just like a reader is able to read the chip on your card, they're able to read information off of that. This is, at this point, it is voluntary. And there's some interesting things that are going on with it. So it's not out of the question that someone could be microchipped in order to get information. And I want to talk about the biblical implications of this here in just a moment. But I've got one more thing to show you. Uh, again, this is a this is a web page, so I can be honest with you. I'm not sure of all the rules of showing things that are web pages on YouTube or Facebook. But here we go. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. So let me get back to this first, and then I'm going to go ahead and pull this up, and I want to show you what I found. So, and I don't know if you can read this or not. I can't make it any larger. Um, but this, first of all, is a it's a it's an attorney firm that is in Turkey, and it put out this statement. And it starts off by saying um, the the title of it is "What is Patent Zero Six Zero Six Zero Six Microchip and Famous Bill Patent Number Gates Patent Number?" And then it talks about some plots like putting Coca Cola putting blood in Christian babies. 
So why that starts off that way, we're, I'm not sure. It looks to me like this is a this is a PR firm that's putting out a statement to try to get a hold of something that's a little bit out of control. And then it says this, and here's where the information comes in. It says patent WO20200060606 uh, relates to officially record recorded facts. It was registered on March 26 of 2020. It was made by Microsoft Technology Licensing LLC under the presidency of Gates and gained international status on April 20, 2020. Cryptocurrency system using um, body activity data in is the title of this patent. Now, that's all that I really want to read from there because I don't know exactly where this comes from. I don't know where this web page comes from. I wasn't able to verify it. But that information that I just read to you, I was able to verify in other places. So the patent does seem to be something tracked, tracking, maybe a tattoo, not, doesn't make mention microchip, um, but maybe a, a tattoo in order to, to track uh, information about, it could be a vaccine. And it's said that in impoverished countries where there are no records, being able to track uh, the vaccine information of a child who's been vaccinated and to know how they've been vaccinated and if they've been vaccinated is really what they're looking to try to do. So that's the information. What do I think about it personally? Um, I think it's really weird. I think the fact that 060606 is brought up is really weird. Again, I'm I'm not a guy that falls into conspiracy theories. Uh, I uh, generally think that they're whack when people really get carried away with them. Um, I find this to be I find this to be very interesting and the fact that it does have to do with cryptocurrency and tracking people. Uh, it seems like they want to reward also certain behavior with cryptocurrency. So let's talk about how this could fit into the Bible. Of course, you have 666, which is the number of the beast, which if you in, in, in biblical times, even before that in Greek and Hebrew, there are numbers connected to numbers that are on numbers that connect to letters in the Greek alphabet and Hebrew alphabet. And um, Dr. Bart Ehrmond, who is a New Testament scholar, did this work where he took the name of Caesar Neron and added all the numbers up and it came to 666. It's in his book, Heaven and Hell, if you want to look it up and check it out. Um, I'm just giving you his work, okay? So there have been some who have criticized me for saying that, saying that um, these numbers don't add up to that. Well, I mean, he's a New Testament scholar. There are a lot of things that I don't trust Bart Ehrman about, but this is what I found from him, okay? And then that Caesar Nero adds up to 616, and early manuscripts, and there are early manuscripts that have 616 instead of 666. The idea would be that Nero, and remember, the book of Revelation was written after Nero, after Nero would, had killed himself. And so the idea would be that the number of the man, this beast in Revelation, is a Roman emperor who is particularly evil, as Nero was a Roman emperor that was particularly evil. That's the nearest that we can figure out to what 666 means. I don't think it means to help identify someone. So what would it mean that there's a patent number with 060606, even if it's connected to 666? Uh, could it be connected to the Antichrist and how he will one day stop people from buying and selling? Because remember, the Antichrist has the power to be able to stop people from buying and selling if they don't give allegiance to the beast. 
and he puts a mark on their back of their, their forehead and on the back of their hand. And could a microchip be that, or could this tattoo be something on the back of the hand or forehead? It's interesting enough for us to go, yeah, boy, there's, there, there may be something there. And cryptocurrency is programmable money. So the government, I think, is interested in cryptocurrency. Uh, first of all, the way it is verified through the blockchain is very important because it's really hard. And people have said that cryptocurrency was going to be used by, for, by you know, and it was in the very beginning with um, certain websites to buy things that were illegal to buy. And um, it, it's surprising that Bitcoin, what that was in the death of Bitcoin at that particular point in time. But you can pro program money that has to be spent by a certain date. You could program money that could only be spent by a certain person. You could program money that you could do away with. You could come in and change, change on it. And so the fact that this is connected to cryptocurrency and either tattooing or wearables that give information or and the vaccine is connected to it, all is really interesting. And you just can't find a whole lot of information on it. I spent another hour today before this um, Q&A looking up information on it and just could not find very much information on it at all. And um, so all of that causes me to be a little suspect. And could we be seeing the very beginning of what the Antichrist uses to be able to stop people from buying and selling, as it says in the book of Revelation? Yeah, I think so, possibly. I think maybe credit cards are that as well. And I think maybe the barcode system are that as well which have all been said by people to be the mark of the beast. This is far more advanced than barcodes. It's far more advanced um, than credit cards. And so I just want to say this about the mark of the beast. You aren't going to take it by accident. If uh, when, when the false prophet demands that there is allegiance given to the beast and he stops all people from buying and selling without the mark, you have to give allegiance. So you can't take it by accident. So any technology that may be out there that you might be afraid to use for whatever reason, you don't have to be afraid to use that until it's actually connected to giving some kind of allegiance or worship to the beast. And anyone who doesn't fall down and worship the beast won't be able to buy or sell. And programmable, programmable money seems to fit into that. So I have a video, and maybe Keith can find it and put it in there. It's called, um, I think, Bitcoin and the Bible. And um, you could put it in the in the um, comments here, Keith. If you could find it, pretty easy to find. Just um, just go to our YouTube page and search for it. Put it up here. Put the link in there, and people can watch it. And I explain a little bit more about how cryptocurrency could be used as the mark of the beast. All right. So um, do I do I think there's anything shady going on here? I'm just going to give an I don't know. Could this be something more than what they're trying to make it? say it is, I'm going to give an I don't know. And again, this comes from somebody who usually doesn't give in to any conspiracy theories at all. And I'm not saying there's conspiracy theory here. I'm just saying it looks, it looks suspect. It looks interesting. So um, there, there that is. All right. So good to see you guys. Good to have you uh, join us for our uh, Q&A. This is our, we do this twice a week. We do it Wednesdays and Saturdays. And we take any questions that you have uh, connected either to our teachings, maybe a teaching you watched online, maybe a, um, a teaching that you watched on per, on per in person, and you have a question about that, we'd love to take that question. Then if you have any questions at all 
on apologetics, prophecy, um, and the Christian living, especially ones that may be nuanced. If you've got something going on or you got a question about somebody that you know that's going through something in their marriage or in their life and um, it's a little nuanced, uh, that would be a question that you could ask. All right, so just write the word question in front of it, write it out, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. And if you have a reference, submit the reference with it, maybe even print out the reference, copy and paste the reference so that we can not take time to spend looking it up, especially if there are several references. Um, we may want to look up the context anyway. So we have our very first question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands, good to see you. Uh, you say, why are the globalists suddenly in such a hurry to accomplish their agenda after decades of slow rolling it? Why is 2030 so important to them? <laughs> Again, I'm going to have to fame ignorance on this. Fact Check These Hands. Um, I'm not sure of the globalists you're talking about. I don't know why they're in a hurry to accomplish their agenda of decades of slowing it out. I don't. I haven't heard of anything with a date 2030 in it. So um, it's a good thing I'm not afraid to say I don't know because otherwise I'd be talking about these things that I have no clue about. Um, I do believe there are globalists in a sense that they want to globalize the economy. They think it's the very best thing to do. Um, I think that a one world government is being talked about which would be, a, a and of course, that fits right into what the Bible says. Remember, the last world power is a revival of the Roman Empire that has the Antichrist, who is connected to Rome in some way, at the very top of that. So when you're talking about the globalists, um, their agenda, and, and 2030, maybe you can follow up with a question here, maybe cut it down a little bit, give a little bit more information. So... Um, so we can uh, take a look at that question, all right? Fact check these hands. Thank you uh, very much, I appreciate that. By the way, we are taking one question per person today. Uh, we, we do that all the time. Uh, so submit your question and you can submit a follow-up question if there wasn't a complete clarity on the question. So we have a uh, question here from Jari. Good to see you, Jari. Jari says, when Daniel and John had their vision did God show the future technology or did they still only see symbolism like the beast? Did God show them the Antichrist or just the 10-headed monster or 10-headed beast that comes up out of the water? Um, so uh, I'm going to say, fact check these hands, that we really don't know what God showed them. Hal Lindsey in his book, The Great Late Planet Earth, believed that they saw helicopters and modern day things, and they were writing them to the best of their ability. Uh, some of the things that Hal Lindsey made a connection to in that book were wrong. And, and you're going to get that there's some conjecture and you're guessing and people think that they're true. They read them and they go, oh man, that's got to be true. That's got to be it. When in reality, they're not. And you're going to get that when there's a lot of conjecture. So what exactly did they see in their vision? Did they see future things? or we just don't know. And I don't think there's anybody who can. It's one of those areas where you go, oh, I don't think there's anybody who can say, well, they saw you know, spaceships or they saw the technology. Uh, in Revelation, how is it that John in his vision saw that the whole world would see the resurrection of the two witnesses in Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 11? How's the whole world gonna see it? 
that wasn't even possible until the 1950s that it may, yeah, I think 1950s, I'm not quite sure when the first TVs came, but for the whole world to be able to see it, uh, it needs to be a connection a little bit more than that. And how would that even be, how would that even be possible? Except that in our world today, it is possible. And there's quite a few things like that in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, where you see certain things that didn't make any sense in their day, but do in our day. At the very end of the book of Daniel, it says, seal things up. D Daniel, it's for you. You're going to go on. You're going to die. Or you're going to go on, live your life and die. But then he says, but seal these things up till the time of the end. Knowledge will increase and men will go to and fro on the earth. There's two different ideas for that passage that God was saying the, in the end of the age, knowledge is going to increase and men are going to go to and fro on the earth. If that's the case, then we're living in those days. Knowledge is increasing at an incredible rate and men are going back and forth on the earth. And maybe even for our generation for the first time, since you, you know, when did the Wright brothers, you know, invent the plane, the early 1900s, 1910, somewhere around there. So, just thinking about how far we've gone and how men are moving around the earth. Now, the other thought is, is that technology or whatever that Greek word or, or Hebrew or Aramaic word is for technology was increasing in their day. And that it was just, you, you seal these things up until the time of the end, knowledge is going to increase and men are going to go back and forth on the earth. That's what's going to happen between now and when these things that we wrote about in this book of Daniel take place. Um, I, I look at it and have always understood it to be the time of the end will be a time of, of increased knowledge and men will go back and forth on the earth. So thanks, Jari, for that question. It opens up a lot of interesting details about a lot of prophecies in the Bible and exactly what they saw and what they were trying to communicate to us. Uh, there's a lot more of that inside the book of Revelations, by the way, when it talks about having the a mane like a lion, some see missiles in that, like the back of the missile flaring out like the mane of a lion. Um, some see missile, uh, some see different things like that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think some of those things go a little bit too far. We will only know, you know, 2020 is perfect sight. So when you see a prophecy fulfilled, all of a sudden you go, there it is. That's what it is. And there are always some questions about prophecy as you're looking towards the future, other than just taking it in, in the plain sense of what it says. So when you're trying to add things like, well, this is a missile because he's mentioned a lion's mane, I think you're running into problems in trying to interpret prophecy in that way. All right. So we have another question. So thank you, Jari. We have another question from WMB 1977 IFY. Um, is it a sin for women to wear makeup? I would say... I, I just better be careful here. I, I'm about to get myself into trouble. Um, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who was a, a pastor teacher that taught all the way through the Bible, PhD, incredibly smart guy, but he had this kind of Southern Western woods drawl, may I say to you, my friends. And um, he had a, um, uh, he had a, a radio program and he would answer certain questions. And he said, on this question, should women wear wake up? He would say, well, may I say to you, my friends, if the barn needs painting, then paint it. Uh, which is a funny way of answering that. Um, is it a sin for women to wear makeup? No, it's not a sin for women to wear makeup. Uh, 
are there certain cultures within Christendom that don't accept it? Yes. They're very rare. They are kind of outliers. And so would you, I don't know, would you even in any of those communities find it wrong to wear that if it's talking about stumbling a brother? Um, but no, I think, you know, there was a time when wearing buttons was considered to be sin because they thought button wearing buttons was flashy. Um, there, there have been all kinds of things that have been outlawed by churches and that just become legalistic and, um, wearing pants today. There are certain groups of Christendom that still do not allow, allow women to wear any kind of pants, even though they're made for females, uh, because they say that in your know, pants are something that men wear, um, Cultures change, and that's why in the Bible, it talks about women braiding their hair, but it's not telling us that women can't braid their hair today. It meant a certain thing in their day when a woman braided their hair. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about women covering their head, it meant something about authority and rebellion. And, um, and, and so it can't be translated directly over. Now you can go too far with calling the cultural thing. Well, that, that's cultural. And um, so you got to be careful with that. But there are certain things that are cultural. And I don't know of any passage. Remember, there was makeup available in their day. I imagine the women in Rome who were part of the church, especially wealthy women in the Gentile world, I imagine that they weren't wore makeup and that you could have had that addressed. And um, I'm going to be pretty confident in saying there is no place in the Bible where they address wearing makeup. So someone who is making these kind of rules today is being legalistic. And legalism has its problems. There is, um, you can become legalistic about anything. Um, can't dance. And, and some people can't dance just because they can't dance. But legalism in that if you go out and dance, then it's sinful. Well, what if you're going out and dancing with your wife? Is that then sinful for you to dance with your wife? And so all of a sudden there becomes all kinds of questions and I would rather stay as far away from legalism as I possibly can. And I think that any group who would say that wearing pants or makeup or anything like that is, uh, is a sin, then I, I'll give them the right hand of fellowship, but I don't want to, I, I don't want to, um, well, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't believe as they do. We'll, we'll just put it that way. So I don't know that I would put any restrictions on a relationship with someone who believes such a thing, um, but I do believe it's it's problematic. And usually when you get into that kind of legalism, I don't want to judge people who are legalistic, but when you get into it, you, you begin to believe that you're right with God because of those things that you've chosen that aren't biblical, that you say are wrong, and it leads to some arrogance and pride. It can lead to arrogance and pride, and uh, maybe not with everybody, but certainly it can. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, we have an, uh, another question here from Kimberly. Empress Kimberly says, I've been learning a little about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Fascinating. But is this dangerous for a Christian? Absolutely not. I think it's fascinating. The Dead Sea Scrolls were a discovery in the caves of Qumran in 1947. Israel became a nation in 1948. Every book of the Bible is represented in the 
in the Dead Sea Scrolls, except for Esther, which is interesting because Esther is the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God. But I don't know that there's a connection there. It's just interesting. Some things are just interesting. You just got to say, you need to point it out. That's that's interesting. Um, I love looking into the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they found the completed copy of the book of Isaiah, that was a thousand years, over a thousand years older than any copy of the book of Isaiah that we had, and that there were no significant changes. There's not, no changes in it that changed the meaning of the text. There were words that were spelled differently. There were words that were used differently. But as far as changing the meaning of the text, none of it was changed. And all of these are findings, by the way, that scholars have put out on it. Um, there's a silver scroll in that were found with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is a treasure map, which is interesting. Um, there was a missing verse that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And um, maybe I'll, I'll do something on this in the future. Um, take time to, to look it up. So there are, are Psalms, which each Psalm, um, each sentence of the Psalm starts with a letter of the alphabet. And there are several of them. And we knew one of these were missing because a letter of the alphabet was missing. And so when they found the book of Psalms in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they went and they found the missing Psalm, the missing line that had the letter on it. And it said something like, God's word is trustworthy and you can stand by it. It says something about God's word being trustworthy, which I thought how absolutely fascinating that when you when when we've got something we know we're missing and that's not to say god's word isn't complete i'm saying that god put it here as kind of a search that when the dead sea scrolls were found that all of a sudden when you can go and look for the verse it talks about god's word being trustworthy and the dead sea scrolls have done nothing but back up the bible and give it more credibility among scientists um, and um, textual textual critics, because there had been a lot of criticism about the Bible before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they released information from it so slowly because it had the potential that we would have found things in it that would be negative towards Christianity and maybe even draw, have huge questions for it. Some scholars were asking, is this going to be the end of Christianity? Because are we going to be able to prove or disprove certain things that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls? when in fact, they've done nothing but back up what the Bible says. And um, they are continuing to put things together for the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can see them when you go to Israel. They've got them in the Israeli Museum. And um, I've, I've, I've seen them up close. And they're absolutely amazing. And I think that the fact that they were found in 1947, right before Israel became a nation in 1948, is incredible. Um, kind of a way for God to say, my word is coming true. I'm bringing Israel back into the land. And here we find all of these copies dated before the time of Christ, which by the way, had all of the prophecies about the Messiah and it had Isaiah 53 in it, had them all in there. So no one can say that those Old Testament passages were tampered with. They couldn't anyway, because the Septuagint, the Septuagint which is the Greek copy of the Old Testament, was completed 125, 130 years before the time of Christ. And it had all those passages in there anyway. So a lot of times the critics have just kind of talked out of the side of their, their mouth when they're attacking these passages. All right. And uh, um, yeah, there's some interesting things that were found about Daniel as well. So no, keep looking at it. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. 
I'm, uh, I'm still very excited that we found copies of the Old Testament that were over 2000 years old. Absolutely amazing. Um, so Rod says, um, Satan is pure evil. How can he, um, is, is Satan pure evil? Then can he come before the throne? Job one and two, God hates evil. So Rod, I, um, I'm not sure where you would have found the verse that says that Satan is pure evil. Maybe it's just assumed, but I'll certainly take a follow-up question from you. If you connect this to a verse, I would like to see the verse about him being pure evil. Um, it's not that God, God, people are going to stand before God that are pure evil or that are as close to pure evil as you can get and be judged. So we would also want to make a connection with why someone who's evil could not stand before God we think, well, God is light and in him there is no darkness, there's no shifting of shadows. All of that is true. But what would be that which would stop Satan from being able to stand before him? And also what would make Satan pure evil? Or is he just a being that is evil and has fallen and has fallen? Um, I'm not arguing with you that Satan isn't. I'm just saying, let's try to get a little bit of biblical aspect behind the question. What is it that we're talking about Satan, if he's fallen, but what makes us think that a fallen angel can't stand before God? And we do know there are other angels that didn't keep their proper abode and they were judged by God. Men like Hitler and others that have done a lot of evil things are going to stand before God. So I don't think there's anything about Satan that makes him pure evil that cannot stand before God or evil not being able to stand before God in his presence. I think that God will consume it eventually, that God will judge it eventually, but is there anything in God that God can't have evil stand in front of him? Even if we could say Satan was pure evil, just in, in essence, he's pure evil. Is there anything that says that pure evil can't stand before God? That would, that someone, a being who is pure evil would not be able to have a conversation with God. So I just, um, you know, question, question the question and whether or not we just should get some clarity to try to figure out if we can answer that any better. All right, so thank you, Rod, I appreciate that. So um, Keith did put the, um, um, does Bitcoin fit into the Bible and the last days uh, up in the comment section so you guys can look at that. And it talks a little bit more about cryptocurrency. All right, so okay, good to see you. Kay has a question, she says, a festival in England, they brought out a figure of a huge calf. Yeah, I saw that and everyone cheered. They were dancing around it in circles. A lady fed it with a gigantic crystal. Satan is at work influencing culture. Satan is at work influencing culture. Those are the questions. This, this is really interesting because the children of Israel worshiped a golden calf. And in the ancient world, when, do you remember when Rehoboam took over for Solomon? Rehoboam was Solomon's son who went to the throne. And Rehoboam, for lack of a better word, was a jerk. And he wanted to overtax the people. And the counselors of Solomon told him not to do it, but he had his own counselors who were young like him, and they told him to do it, and so he did it. This caused a civil war in Israel, a split. So now you had the Southern Kingdom of Judah and the Northern Kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel and Judah, 
some of Simeon and I think some of Benjamin that were up in the area of Judah. Judah's in Jerusalem. And so from then on, you had kings that sat on the throne in Israel, which capital was Samaria, and you had kings that sat on the throne in Judea, Jerusalem. And if you look at the kings sitting on Jerusalem, they're all descendants of David. The kings that sat on the throne of Israel, the, the 10 tribes of Israel, the Northern Kingdom, they were not all descendants of Judah, of Israel. And so the first king for the Northern Kingdom, the, re the rebellious kingdom, was a guy by the name of Jeroboam. So you have Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and then Jeroboam, who was Solomon's servant. I called them the Boam brothers, just to remember them. They, weren't, they were not brothers. But Jeroboam was called by God to lead the 10 tribes that had broken away from Rehoboam. But out of fear, he didn't want them going back to Judah, into Jerusalem, and worshiping there, which is where God had put his name to be worshiped. He didn't want them going there to worship because he thought then they would serve Rehoboam. So out of fear, this guy that's called by God builds two golden calves one in Dan and one in Bethel. They have found the altar in Dan. So you can go there today and you can look at the altar. And I've, I've told this story many times in Israel at that altar of Dan where they had the golden calf. And um, the golden calf was connected to Baal worship. And I, I won't go into all the details on how it's connected to Baal worship. Baal, um, there are a few different gods with the name Baal in their day. And, um, but it is connected to Baal worship. And so the fact that they bring out this giant bull and worship it at, um, what were they, the, what games were they? There was a certain games that they were. Um, you said here, a festival in England. Yeah, it was, a, it was um, some kind of a competition that they brought this bull out in the opening ceremonies. And um, it looked like, yeah, Satan's at work, yes. Satan's been at work, but yes, Satan's at work. Influencing culture, I think maybe going back to those very things um, that were found in Canaanite worship. Um, remember, it wasn't just Canaanite worship. Jezebel's dad was a priest of Baalzebub. And um, so, and she, he was a, um, and he was in another country that was around there. So Baal worship was not only in the Canaan with the Canaanites, but it is interesting that here we come, we're living in the last days. There's no doubt about that because God said in the latter years, he was going to bring Israel back into the land, the people of Israel back into the land and restore the nation. And then in the latter days, he's going to bring Gog down against them. So there's a war in the latter days, but in the latter years, he was going to bring Israel back to be a nation again. And that all of a sudden we have these people that are in a festival that are bowing down and worshiping a bull when the children of Israel, when Moses was up on the Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, gave their stuff to Aaron and he made a golden calf that they worshiped. So there just seems to be a huge connection here to me that is, um, that's more than interesting. All right. So yeah, I do believe that, um, this is the, this is the way the world's going. Satan is involved and people don't think he is. And I think they might like doing stuff like this. Um, so, um, all right. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate that. So we have another question here from Brianna. Brianna says, question, does the Bible talk about police officers or did Jesus do most of the policing? Okay. So I'm not sure how Jesus would have done most of the policing. You had the Roman soldiers that were in charge. 
And um, let me just see if I can find this verse for you here. I'm going to pull up my Bible, first of all. And um, then let me see if I could find it here. So yes, the answer is yes. The Bible does say um, some things about police officers. And um, remember, while I'm finding this, John the Baptist was asked by several different people what they should do. And a Roman soldier asked John the Baptist, what should I do? And he was told by John, be fair and don't mistreat people. So he didn't tell him to not be a Roman soldier, but told him to be fair and not mistreat people. So I'm going to pull this up on the screen for you here. Um, let me go ahead and get this down here so it doesn't in the way with it. All right. So, um, uh, Brianna, so here is, that's the wrong one. Um, here is Romans 13. It says, um, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Oh, you know what? I've got the amplified version up. So just let me go ahead and change this to, I'm going to update later to the New King James. All right. So let's just do this. Let me start reading again. So this is um, Romans 13, verse 1, uh, the New King James. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. So this tells us that we need to obey the law. For there is no authority except from God. So God's the one who's put authorities into place. You say, well, what about bad authorities? Well, yeah, even that. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So actually appointed by him. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God. So when you're resisting authorities, and, and, and the key here is that they are asking you to do something that is not against God. As long as whatever they're asking you to do, you do and you don't resist them, except that they're asking you to, 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 to do something that is not Christian. And so when Peter and John were arrested because they were preaching in the name of Jesus and they told them not to, these are the authorities, now telling them not to preach the name of Jesus, Peter said, you determine, is it right for us to obey men or God? So when government begins to ask you to do something that is no longer biblical or no longer Christian, then you're going to resist the authority. But other than that, you want to be in compliance with the authority because they're there to protect you. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to workers, to workers, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, remember, this is written this is to the Romans. So it's the Roman government, which is, which is corrupt. It says, for he is God's minister. So now it goes to the singular. And I think now a police officer is God's minister, doing the work that God has called him to do, whether or not he's a Christian keeping the authority and keeping the peace. So they are a gift to us and servants, public servants to us to help keep us safe. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, the sword was the weapon that they used to keep the authority. So that would be today for us in America. He does not bear the gun in vain. <clears throat> so even giving him the right to be able to use lethal force to be able to uphold the law. For he is God's minister to avenge, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Not only do I think that this can be something that is, is pointed out for police officers, but I also think for soldiers. 
especially in a country that is dedicated to trying to live the truth. And that doesn't mean, <coughs> excuse me, that doesn't mean, let me get a drink here. That doesn't mean police officers are always going to do what's right. I do think they are highly maligned today, but it doesn't mean they're always going to do what's right. Doesn't mean soldiers are always going to do what's right. Doesn't mean military is always going to do what's right. But we get the bigger picture of what the military is meant for. So someone, a Christian can be a soldier. A Christian can be a police officer. They can be involved in these things. And um, yeah, Jesus, Brianna, did not do, he had a whole different goal. His goal was not to make people do anything, but to give people warnings and to come and to die for sinners. The Son of Man has come only to call sinners to repentance, Jesus said. So yeah, good question on police officers and even soldiers. And that is your passage that you go to and look at that. There's some other things that you could talk about with it as well. Um, there were centurions that came to Jesus for healing of their uh, healing of a servant. Jesus healed their servant. Um, he is writing to Rome, so good stuff. Uh, so we have a question from Keep It Real or Keeping Keep It Real. Keep It Real says, "Have you um, uh, heard of the YouTube channel AOC?" about the end times. You think they are sound doctrine, thank you. I have not heard of them. Um, I don't know that I've ever <clears throat> watched or looked at anything um, with them. Let me see if I can. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna take a moment. You said it's a YouTube channel? I'm gonna look them up. Let's see if I've, uh, see if I have seen anything by them. AOC. Okay. Um, defending the police, not popular. Um, uh, well, that's going to be AOC. It's going to be the politician. Um, yeah, so I didn't, nothing really came up with AOC. Just stuff came up with AOC, you know? So, um, okay. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to remember to look it up later on. Um, but I think it's good to be skeptical of all of all sources at first. When you're doing research, when you're looking for something that, that's the truth, you want to be skeptical on it. And um, I will try to, to, to remember to, to look this up. And if you would do me a favor, keeping it real, if after the show is done, or you could really go on to any, go on to any of our videos, any of them, and just write out this question. Just say, hi, Pastor Robert. You said you'd look up um, the YouTube channel AOC uh, for me. And I'll remember it because I'm answering those questions. And when and YouTube puts all new questions, no matter what video in one place, so that you can just go there and see it and you can answer them. So if you go on any video and ask me that question, it will remind me. And even while I'm answering them, I'll be able to take time to go in and look it up and see whether or not I think it's, it's real. Then ask me the question again later on, because I really do want to, I want us to be careful because there are a lot of, well, Jehovah Witnesses have channels that look Christian. So do the Mormons. So, um, and so do um, Seventh Day Adventist. And I, some Seventh Day Adventist churches are fine, and they are Christians. Other ones would fall into that category of being more like a cult because they're telling you that unless you go to church on Saturday, you're not really saved. It's hard to pigeonhole them. But when they put together a web, uh, a YouTube channel, and they don't say who they are. They just use a generic name and and then they're they're putting 
Mormon stuff on there or even looking like it's anti-Mormon, then when you go on it, it's actually pro-Mormon or all, all it is is defending the Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't have a problem with that if they were just honest up front, if they said who it was. And so I don't know about this channel. I'll check it out and I'd be happy to check out any channel that you guys have questions about. You just got to give me a little bit of time to be able to do that because I think we're living in such an incredible time when we're able to look up anything where we can really dive in and find information about anything that we want to find out about. But also there's a lot of um, trickery and weirdness um, that goes on as well. And we want to make sure we're getting our information from the um, <clears throat> from from right places, proper places. So we have a question from Matthew. Matthew, good to see you. Is it a sin for churches to have coffee shops? Uh, thanks, Matthew, for your question. Um, if I thought it was a sin for a church to have a coffee shop, we wouldn't have coffee shops in our church, which we do. So we see them as promoting fellowship. And it would really be good if you, when you ask a question like that, is it a sin for a church to have a coffee shop? What would be the reason that you would think it's sin? And, and I'm, I'm just thinking of a couple of reasons, Matthew, why you might think that or why someone might think that. Um, since Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, is it a sin to have a coffee shop? Then we could compare why Jesus turned over the tables to the coffee shop and, and, and so forth. So um, not sure what the connection would be, whether you think that, whether someone else thinks that. So I do appreciate your question though. I do not think it's a sin for a church to have a coffee shop. Um, Kay, we're um, taking one question at a time. Uh, one question from individuals. So you've got another question here. If we get to the end here and I have time, I'll come back and get it. If you could ask this question um, later on. So um, I think it's an interesting question though. It's about slaves mentioned in the book of Revelation. Um, so um, Ka um, Matthew kind of has a, a follow through to this. All right. So I'd asked him to clarify. And I think he did this before I asked him. Caffeine uh, is church's substitute for alcohol. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, if you're a Mormon, you believe that, but Mormons own companies that make caffeine. Um, no, we don't believe that. No, we don't believe that it's a substitute for alcohol. I just think Matthew, we'd be getting legalistic. And, and a lot of people are legalistic. They make things illegal that the Bible never says cannot be done. And you got to go through a lot of hoops to try to make coffee something that we can't drink. If I had a cup of coffee around here, I would drink it. And I don't think that would be making someone stumble, by the way, because someone might say, well, you're making them stumble. No, because making them stumble would be that they'll go out and drink coffee now and be involved in sin or hurt their conscience. And I don't think that there's not anybody that I know that has that legitimate argument that I fall into sin when I drink coffee. So you, you, that verse, that passage, making a brother stumble is misused a lot. So um, Manny has a question. I'm getting all these short little questions today. Is it a sin to play poker? So um, maybe we'll just have a Q&A where we're just asking, is it a sin too? dot, dot, dot. Um, and I'm fine with these questions, by the way, just so you know. Uh, is it a sin to play poker? Well, again, I, I need to have more information. Is it a sin? I have chips here in my, in my type uh, closet with the games. And when we have family come over, we'll lay out, we'll put out poker chips and we'll play poker. We'll play uh, Texas Hold'em. Is it a sin for me to do that with my family? No. 
is it a sin for someone to gamble away the money that he needs for his house? And online gambling is probably a bigger problem than, than, than ever before now. And yes, that would be a sin. So maybe a more nuanced question, Manny, would be helpful to be able to find um, just a real general question like that is going to be hard. Um, we need some nuance. Things are things are more nuanced than we think. You, you know, is it? Um, you know, well, just I'm just I, I can't think of any. Uh, I can't think of some, but I don't want to use them um, examples. Um, but we need to be more nuanced in the way that we think, and nuanced in our culture, nuanced in what is right and wrong and what we might call right and wrong, but what really might be going on with someone that's right and wrong. I'll give you an example. I think Rod had the question, is it a sin for a woman to wear makeup? I, I think that's so far down the line of what might be causing problems in America today that we could get, get sidetracked with something like that. We start thinking that's a sin for a woman to wear makeup. We start judging women for wearing makeup instead of really understanding what's going on in our heart. Jesus said, when you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, do you have a beam sticking out of your own eye? First, remove the beam from your own eye. Then you can look at the speck in your brother's eye. And I think when we get into a lot of questions about things that are in a, I mean, it, there was a time when it was sin to play cards at all. There, when people thought it was a sin to play cards at all. All right, so um, we have another question from Golden Years Project. Golden Years Project, good to see you. After prayer and meditation on the Lord and thoughts and images become into your mind, how can you discern which ones are the Lord giving you direction and which may just be your own thoughts? That is a really good question, Golden Years Project. Um, what we can know for sure, and I think, yeah, I got my Bible out ready to go to church tonight. What we can know for sure is what God gives us written in his word. And we can find direction on how we're supposed to live in his word. And that's how we should find direction most of all. That's why we answer questions through the lens of scripture. We wanna know what does the Bible say about caffeine? Not just what's, how's God leading me about caffeine? Because God's leading me can fall on feelings and feelings can be a, a problem. Um, discern ones, uh, I was just looking here to see whether, yeah, which ones are your own thoughts. A lot of times when this question is asked, it'll be like, how do I know which one of my feelings is from God? So if I'm feeling God is leading me to do this, or I'm feeling God's leading me to do that, you could be wrong by looking at your feelings because there's no way to check them. And Peter is the great example of this. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They answer him, John the Baptist, Elijah, um, Jeremiah, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't show you this, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then Jesus goes on to tell them, the son of man is going, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter takes him aside and says, may these never be, Lord. Now, Peter, the one, you know, you just said, I hear from God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't show you this. My father in heaven did. Jesus, it's me, Peter, that heard from God. Now, don't say about, talk about going to Jerusalem to die. Don't talk about these things. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. 
He said, your agenda is the things of Satan. So Peter had trouble telling what's from God, what was his own thoughts and what's from Satan. And this is the problem when we rely upon our own thoughts and direction. When we go, I'm going to go meditate and pray and seek God and I'm going to look for direction. Maybe God will give you direction, but maybe he won't. And when you start running into things like, you know, um, God's telling me to buy this car or God's telling me to walk home a different way. Um, all, all, all of a sudden, you know, what if you, what if you don't do that? All, all of a sudden there's just difficulties and problems that arise with looking for what we call personal revelation from God. Now, has God ever spoken to me? Yes. Have I ever gotten direction from God? Yes. There are a handful of times in my life and just a handful that I know that I know that I know that God spoke to me outside of the word of God. Other than that, I have a lot of, I think God told me. I think God said this instead of what the word of God has to say. In other words, the word of God doesn't do a lot about telling you what person to marry, what car to drive, what state to live in, um, what job to take. Those are decisions you make and you make them prayerfully. And God may or may not lead you in them. But the Bible does tell us how we're to live while we're doing that job, how we're to live in that state, how we're to act while we're driving our car, how we're to act in our marriage. So a lot of times we're looking for the wrong things. And I think, here's what, what I think about prayer for certain things. Should I, should I take a new job? I get a new job offer. Should I take this new job offer? It's a good job offer and I'm praying about it. And I'm looking for God, I'm, I'm gonna make a prayerful decision. And prayerfully, praying about it and then making a decision. Because we don't always hear God go yes or no, or take the job or don't take the job. God's big enough if I make a mistake, if I'm not supposed to have that job, and I ask him and I prayerfully work through it, and then I make a decision to take it prayerfully, not hearing from him, maybe thinking I heard from him, but not knowing, because we can always be mistaken. We deceive ourselves, the Bible says. It's so easy to be self-deceived. And some people would even get offended to me, even suggesting that you might not be able to really tell the difference between God speaking to you and yourself. But we are self-deceived. And a person that thinks more of himself than he ought to is self-deceived. That's what it says in, in Galatians chapter six. It's that if a person thinks more of themselves than they ought to, they are self-deceived. So if you think you can't be deceived, you're probably self-deceived because sin is deceptive and it's really easy to be deceived. So I make that prayerful decision. This is how I do it. If, I, if it's something I can't find in the Bible to tell me what to do, I make a prayerful decision and then I'm open. God's big enough if I made the wrong decision that he can come in and correct me. I'm not just blindly making a decision, I'm making a prayerful decision. It's like you said, after praying and meditating on the Lord, the thoughts, and images become in your mind. So I'm actually praying and meditating on certain things, asking God to help me choose a direction. And if my heart's really right, and I make a decision, and it's the wrong decision, God's big enough to correct me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the Bible says. Lean not on your own understanding. So don't always make decisions based on your understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Your path will be directed as you look at that. So yeah, um, Golden Years, I, I appreciate that Golden Years project. I appreciate your question. 
Um, hopefully that's clear in the answer. We know that we know what God's word says. That is our authority. That is what we live on. And from time to time, we're going to hear things that that we might think are God, that might not be able to be backed up by the word of God. And so you've got to make prayerful decisions. I'm very careful not to do something that I think God told me and say God told me. I might say, I believe God told me. I might call someone that, that I think God's laid on my heart and say, hey, I think the Lord laid you on my heart for me to call you. I just want to check in and say, how are you doing? But I say, think. I think that's humble. I'm not saying, this is Robert Furrow, and you've got to understand, I have a direct connection to God. And whenever God speaks to me, then I'm able to answer that. I think that that is self-deception and a problem. All right. So thank you very much for your question. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, there are other questions that are here. I appreciate them. Uh, we are not going to be able to cover them today. Uh, you can join us again on Wednesday. We will be looking at more questions. We'll see how the whole patent question that we came up with uh, does with this video online. We'll see if it gets scrubbed. That'll be interesting if it does. Maybe we'll talk about it getting scrubbed or getting pulled if that is the case. All right, but um, love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Remember, God's word is our authority, and we really are on a truth quest. We want to know what God's word says so we can know what to believe because Jesus said that my word will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's a lot of authority, and we can live by those things. And we're living in a day when people are trying to find their own heart instead of really serving, uh, or really doing, um, really trying to figure out what God wants them to do. All right. So I really appreciate it. We'll take time to look at more of these. I will get um, this, um, uh, these comments uh, from Keith. He'll send them to me. So I'll be able to take a look here at the end at some of these comments and look for something future. So AOC um, YouTube page, I want to look at to see if that, whether or not that thing's correct. All right. We have a service in an hour. Uh, we're going to be talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ and a passage in the Bible that talks about the fig tree that people have used to set dates for when Jesus will return. We're going to be talking about that tonight in our Bible study. So I'd love to have you join us. It's um, either we have two campuses here in Tucson, East and West Campus. You can look up the addresses on that or you can join us online, Facebook or YouTube. All right. God bless you guys. Love you. Uh, stay close to Jesus and stay in God's word. God bless you. We'll see you later on.